Affirmative prayer starts with recognition that God is all there is. This simple phrase grounds me in a way nothing else can. Everything, everything is God. Every mosquito, every breeze, every flower, every blade of grass is God. It gets better. Every woman, man, and child is an expression of God. Every heartbeat, teardrop, and phone call is more of that expression of God. It's all God. Next, every laugh, every joke, every chant, every rant, all coming from that same unlimited source, God. All joy, all wisdom, all love, all power, yes, even stupid jokes, these come from that same place, from that brilliance and infinite creativity that is God. It is so very big and so very simple. There is no place, no way of being, no thing that is not God. The second step in affirmative prayer is unification, where I declare and claim my oneness with this holiness, this wholeness, and further, I claim for everyone this unity. I know we are all of this wholeness. We can never be separate from it, no matter what we do, and actually, no matter what we believe. Even when we believe we are not, we still are of this wholeness. The third step is called realization. We speak and know the reality we seek. Today I am reveling in the joy of this life. I am in awe of the beauty and love that abounds around me. Our spiritual community of friends and committed allies can celebrate a remarkable week behind us and an exciting future ahead full of possibilities, full, in fact, of the very life we have collectively visioned and worked toward. I speak my word that our community continues continues to grow stronger and connects even more in a spirit of love and oneness as the beautiful long days of summer advance. Let us all radiate this love out into the world we live in with arms wide and hearts ablaze. Let us know radiant health, joyful prosperity, and graceful harmony for each other and everyone we come into contact with. There is so much good, so much God all around us all the time. Let us be God's voices, God's light, hands and heart in gratitude for the good in our lives. Let us continue to be this light of God, shining brightly, especially where the light may be needed by others. The fourth step is thanksgiving, the most important step, because it's all about knowing that what I am praying for, what we are all praying for, is already done. I proclaim my gratitude loudly and joyfully, feeling my heart swell in love and appreciation for all the good showing up in my life and the life of this community. And finally, in this fifth step, I release all this into the activity of the law, into the hands of God, so to speak, knowing it is done. And so it is. And so today we're talking about being pulled by vision. This, that's the theme for our whole month, being pulled by vision. You know, I've heard it said that a vision is like putting a, a stake in the future and then it magnetically pulls you to it instead of you trying to hack through the underbrush and create a path to somewhere. You get pulled to it. 
And so that's what we're that's what we're playing with this whole month. And so today we're looking at the idea of free your mind and the rest will follow. Free your mind. Free your mind of crack pottery. I love that line in that song. Uh, free your mind of nincompoopery uh, and the rest will follow. So Ernest Holmes says the recognition of the presence of God or good, that's good with a capital G, the recognition of the presence of God or good automatically wipes out any picture of undesirable conditions. For the spirit of God is a law of elimination and obliteration to anything unlike itself. I like that line. The spirit of God is a law of elimination and obliteration to everything unlike itself. You know, back when I studied Zen, one of the things we were taught was that enlightenment is not a process of addition. It's a process of subtraction or elimination. It's eliminating all that is between me and that truth, that capital T truth, that spirit. You know, when Buffy, Buffy did that wonderful opening prayer, and kind of walk through not only just doing the prayer, but what the prayer was. That first step, God is, spirit is, whatever name you want to give it, the Tao is, that infinite presence is. That's what we focus on. That's, that's the first step of that prayer is to remember that. Because so often we get caught up in this, you know, the stuff, right? At least I do. And maybe you guys don't, but I do. And so I need that kind of a prayer process to remind me to lift up above that. And we're going to talk about that today. So when we're talking about vision, we're talking about stepping out of condition-based living with all of its busy, busy, busyness. <sighs> and listening to our true heart and listening to our true soul. As the song says, coming true to ourselves. All my dreams are waiting for me to come true. John O'Donohue, who's a poet in, the, in, the, in his poem, Rebel Thriver, said, let there be an opening into the quiet that lies beneath the chaos, where you find the peace you did not think was possible and see what shimmers within the storm. Taking that time to that space. So a vision is always about love. It's always about love. It's about what we truly love and what truly loves and is calling to us. Because the nature of the universe is love itself. It's been said that we are in the universe and the universe is in us. It's a co-creation. So as we look at this topic today, first of all, I want to say I love the graphic. If, if, for those of you who read the E! News, uh, Tiffany put in a great graphic for this talk. With There's a guy who's in a corner, and he's got sticky notes all over him and all around the walls around him with all these demands and to-dos and like that. And that's, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel that way, right? It's, it's just, you know, with all these tasks and to-dos, and sometimes our lives can feel like that. And we become human doings, not human beings. But that isn't the capital T truth of us, nor is it the truth of our purpose of being alive. When we're caught up in that life, that busy, busy, busyness, we aren't really alive. And we are pushed by pain and circumstance, but that's not why we are really here. Ernest Holmes in the book, This Thing Called You, said, your soul belongs to the universe. Your mind is an outlet 
through which the creative intelligence of the universe seeks fulfillment. We are first and foremost souls. We are first and foremost spiritual beings. We are not primarily bodies, brains, feelings, to-do lists, all that stuff. No, we are far greater than those things. We are outlets for the creative intelligence of the universe to be as us, to express as us. And it's our responsibility to say yes to that. Most people live lives dictated by outer circumstances. I know you guys don't, but you have friends. You know people like that. You know, you have a second cousin, you know, three times removed that is like that. And, And so instead of tapping into our inner true nature, Paramahansa Yogananda said, most people consider the course of events, in other words, just the flow of life and how it's happening. Most people consider the course of events as natural and inevitable. They little know what radical changes are possible through prayer. They little know what radical changes are possible through prayer. And prayer is connecting us with that infinite source. And I'm so glad that Buffy did that process because it's how we connect to infinite source. And we connect with that infinite source not to change it, not to tell it how to run the universe. You know, hi, I'm God as David, and I'm going to tell you, the infinite presence, how to run the universe, because I'm so much smarter. <clears throat> no, do not do that. Rather, it's to align ourselves with the ideas of the universe. It's to bring ourselves true. So we aren't running around banging our heads against walls of our own making. Mm. We are freeing ourselves from our thought prisons, trying to change outer conditions without changing our consciousness is like trying to change the reflection in the mirror without trying to change the object being reflected. Eddie Watkins has a wonderful line from one of his songs that says, I've tried combing the mirror instead of my hair. If If I want the reflection to change, The object being reflected, that's me, has to change. But there's a really, really hard part to this. It's really difficult. I I don't know if you can do this, but it's a really hard thing to do. I find it difficult. It's called taking time to listen to that voice within. Mm. And when I'm caught up with all the stuff in my life, guess what I don't do? Because most of us have abdicated control of our lives to our intellect, to our minds, filled with all the circumstances and driven by busyness. Take a breath. You know, I did that this week. I got caught out this week. Monday especially was a really, really busy, demanding day. There was junk happening all over the place. Excuse me, as Buffy reminded us, there was God stuff happening all over the place. But it was more mosquitoes than it was, you know, honeybees. The website and all of its affiliated emails crashed, went down, and was down for a full day. Uh, Our wonderful Sandy Dell and her husband, uh, Malcolm, were were doing just phenomenal work trying to figure out what that was. There there was arrangements for a storage pod to be dropped at our new site, and emails were flowing left and right and up and down and all over the place about all this stuff. In the middle of it, I got snarky with one of our volunteers, with one of our uh, members of our community. 
Sorry, I hate to admit it, but yes, I got, I, I can get snarky once in a while. I was pushed by the pain of feeling responsible for it all instead of taking time to remember who, what was really guiding all this process and taking the time to remember that I'm here to be a spiritual leader, not an administrator of stuff. And forgetting the vision of this beloved community where all are respected and, and valued. And I realized that with all the busyness that I was going through, I had also set aside my spiritual practice. I had been too busy to do that. I have not taken the time to listen to who I am truly called to be. And so I slid into being somebody else. Somebody I didn't really like all that much either. And we all worked it all out. It's, it's you know, it all was made good. But it, but it felt <clears throat> icky at the time. Taking time to listen to spirit is the most important task we do each day. It's the most important thing we can do. So what about this vision thing, you might ask? What is it? What is its essence? Is it a Moses on the mountain experience where we levitate up from our meditation cushion where we've been sitting for hours and every single day, and, and suddenly we hear with thunder and lightning and the trumpet blare of angels, we hear the voice come out of the sky that says, you are my beloved, and my vision for your life is to be a trash collector. No, it's not like that. Even though you now know what you're supposed to do, but it's not like that. You know, occasionally people do have these powerful visions. You know, I've had them, and and you know, several people in our in our annual our year long mystic program, uh, one of them just recently had a pretty powerful vision like that. But frankly, to be honest with you, most of these visions leave you with more questions than answers, and a sense of what do I do with that? And your mind is kind of jiggling like jello following that. Far more often. A vision, if you will, is listening to that quiet voice of guidance within us. And most of us, if we have listened at all, have heard that voice to some degree, that little nudge, that little, that little thing that we know speaks truth. Sometimes we need to take time, special time, to sit and become aware of and call forth a vision for our life. When we do that, we usually recognize that we've already been living that vision to some degree or another. And we're just now paying attention and again, and bringing it forward to be more prominent in our lives. You know, when I got the call to go to ministerial school, and I, I didn't know I was going to do that, you know, but one day it just kind of, you know, popped. And there was a moment where I, I went, why not? I've been in love with God or spirit or the Tao since childhood. You know, I've been, I've been doing all this stuff. You know, if many of you have heard that story of, of, you know, just like, you know, Reverend Michael before me, you know, I've built altars in my basement saying mass, you know, while, while my, uh, you know, my friends are out playing baseball and stuff like that. But with a mind clogged with substitutes, with work, with family, with body, et cetera, and all the escape behaviors from that life, I didn't hear or know how to do it. I mean, everybody knows. Everybody knows. You can't make a career or a life out of being in love with spirit. You can't do that. It's not practical. Guess what? I can. I can 
because that's my calling, because that's my vision. I'm not alone in that, by the way, but it's because it's my true vision. Sometimes it helps to, to find these visions to borrow processes from the corporate world, which has borrowed the idea of vision from the spiritual world. So we're just kind of playing back and forth. A vision helps us know where we're going and what our priorities are, even as circumstances change. Jim Collins in his book, Built to Last, Successful Habits of Visionary Companies, offers a vision formula. Yes, we can break this into a formula. Let me pull up our slides again. And so vision is a combination of two things, our core ideology plus an envisioned future. Mm, what does that mean? Well, core ideology is our core values. What is it that, that I am? What's my core values? There's usually, you know, two, three, four that are really core, and then our core purpose. And an envisioned future is a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal with a vivid description. You know, Jim Collins used uh, Walt Disney as an example of that. His core values were imagination and wholeness. And his core purpose was to create happiness. If, I, if we were in a class where we were working with this, what is my purpose? We were saying, I would use my imagination and wholesomeness to create happiness. That would be a vision statement. And then let me undo this. The envisioned future, the BHAG, the big, hairy, audacious goal, is and a vivid description of that goal. And this is a huge goal. This is a 10 to 30 year, you know, this, this is something to really motivate you. And it's specific and it's measurable. Jim Collins says a true BHAG is clear and compelling, serves as a unifying focal point of effort and acts as a catalyst for team spirit. Now, clear and compelling, which means I know where I'm going and I'm excited about it. I am pulled by it. This is something that really turns me on, that really excites me. I say, yes, I, I'm willing to. And then the second part of that is a unifying focal point. So I'm willing to put all my energy towards this. I talked a few talks ago about keeping thine eyes single. You know, this is what, when I wanted to become a practitioner, I finally said, yes, I got distracted at first, but I finally kept my eyes single. When I wanted to become a minister, I kept my eyes single. I did what was necessary. That's the unifying focal uh, point. And then finally acts as a catalyst for team spirit. What's team spirit? It's all the aspects of me. I'm a team. There is an I in team. And I'm it. And yes, you know, in corporate world, we can talk about team spirit, but you know that you have all these different aspects of you. And so to get them all flying in formation instead of going in all sorts, pulling in all sorts of different directions. He uses Sony uh, Corporation as a, an example of a BHAG. And Sony's corporation, uh, Sony's BHAG, if you will, in the, in the 1950s was to become a company most known for changing the worldwide poor quality image of Japanese products. I'll say that again. 
to become the, the company, the company, not just a company, the company most known for changing the worldwide poor quality image of Japanese products. Now, if you know the Japanese, the Japanese are a proud people. I mean, they have tons of history, you know, and, and, and that. But in the after World War II, they didn't have a whole lot to work with. And so that's where, if you remember the 50s, for those of us who are old enough, Japanese was meant cheap and shoddy. And Sony, Sony's vision was to shift that, to turn that, to make that 180 degrees. And they gave a vivid description that said 50 years from now, they're saying this in the 50s, they're doing, saying this in the 50s, 50 years from now, our brand name will be as well known as any in the world and will signify innovation and quality. Made in Japan will mean something fine, not something shoddy. I don't think it took them 50 years to do that because it came about in about the 70s and 80s. And by that time, people were looking at Japanese products and saying, these are better quality products than some of the made in America products. That's a vivid description. And the vivid description helps make our BHAG memorable and strong enough to overcome our resistance. Last Sunday, we talked about commit, having a commitment that's greater than our resistance. And so having a, a BHAG with a vivid description is the power that allows us to then move towards it. There's one final aspect to a vision, and that's what, what, what he calls make it sticky. Ken Blanchard, who's famous, uh, famous management consultant, uh, was talking with a visionary, a CEO of a visionary company, I should say. And, and he asked the, the CEO, what's your role in this process? And he said, my role is to be like a third grade teacher, to say the vision and the values over and over and over and over and over again until people get it and embody it. You know, a set of ministers, we're here to be the vision holders and the vision casters. You know, and so that vision, just to, until people get it and embody it. And this is where sticky notes do come up, not as, or vision boards, not as tasks to be done, to be placed all over us, but as reminders. This is what I'm about. This is my vision. These are my core values. This is my core purpose. And this is my big, big hairy, audacious goal. And to have them up where we can see them and be reminded them of them every day. It reminds us of who we truly are, of who we truly are. It reminds us that all our dreams are waiting for us to come true. Our vision, our values, and our big, hairy, audacious goal. I'm going to close with a quote, and it's a poem from Rumi. And... Brett and Amy are going to kind of sing a song based on this afterwards, but I wanted to introduce it, uh, the whole poem. And Rumi says, listen, O drop, give yourself up without regret, and in exchange gain the ocean. Listen, O drop, bestow upon yourself this honor, and in the arms of the sea be secure. Who indeed should be so fortunate? an ocean wooing a drop. In God's name, in God's name, sell everything else and buy this at once. Give a drop and take a sea full of pearls.
Mm. Let's take a moment to look at our two for our vision state, for our, excuse me, for our affirmation here with this. And so say this with me. I listen to the vision of my true self and express it powerfully. Once again, I listen to the vision of my true self, that infinite ocean, and I express it powerfully. And so it is.